John, stand this morning as we worship together. I see his wounds, 
his hands, his feet, my Savior
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your truth. We thank you that we can gather here this morning and worship you. We can worship you and you alone. We can worship you because you are the great creator who have made us and the redeemer who has saved us. And so we rejoice that we can worship you. That we can know you who have hung the stars in the sky have planned every moment of history, who is working all things together for good for those who love you. And yet you have come to dwell among us and given us your spirit, which dwells in us, and therefore we have a personal relationship with you, and we know you and can worship you. And God, we rejoice. God, we pray that this morning, as we are gathered for worship, that all that we do would be glorifying to you as we sing, as we give, as we pray, as we fellowship, as your word is proclaimed, all of those things would bring you glory and honor. God, we pray for those around us who are hurting, so many who have been sick, many who face uncertainty ahead of them. God, we pray that you would give them comfort and peace and grace. God, we pray especially for those who are lost. God, here in our community, people who have never heard the good news, people who have never experienced your love, God, I pray that we would be a people gathered here who love them, who reach out to them, who show them your love and share with them your good news. And God, even all around us and around our state and around our world, as there are so many who who are far from you, who have never heard your name, God, I pray that we would be faithful in going and we would support others who do as well. God, we pray for those who serve. God, places that are difficult. God, we pray that you would strengthen their heart even now as they stand to proclaim among people who have never heard. God, I pray that you would help them, guide them, give them hope and peace. Lord God, lead us as we worship this morning, and let all that we do be for your glory, as we pray together in Christ's name, amen. Because death could not hold you, the veil could be for you, you silence the boast of sin and grace. Heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again, cause you have no rival, yes you have no equal, 
now and forever, God, you reign. Because yours is the kingdom, and yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You were the Word at the beginning. One with God, the Lord Most High. Your hidden glory in creation, and now revealed in you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Cause nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. Sin was great, your love was greater. And what could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. There's nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. Because death could not hold you. Veil tore before you, you silence the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again, and you have no rival. You have no equal now and forever. God, you reign. And yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. And what a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King.
What a powerful name it is And nothing can stand against What a powerful name it is The name of Jesus What a powerful name it is The name of Jesus What a powerful name it is The name of Father, we come to you and we don't even really understand how there can be so much power in just the name of Jesus. Father God, at the mention of your name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that you are the only true God. And that power is within inside of us. And yet, Father God, on a daily basis, I'm guilty of ignoring that power inside of me and trying to rely on my own feeble ways that don't even compare. Father God, I pray that you would help us to recognize the true power, the the true authority, Father God, of your name, the name above all names, Father God, that this morning we would recognize that we have nothing, that everything that we are is meaningless if we don't accept you, Father God, to to live inside of us, to live through us, to empower our words, our thoughts, and our actions. This morning, Father God, we pray for true repentance. We pray that you would break the walls of our hearts, that we would see who you are, Father God, and who you need to be in our lives that you would speak words through the pastor, that we would hear, that our souls would listen, and that we would be changed people. Father God, that we would not just leave these doors, that we would not walk into our regular lives, Father God, but that we would want to be changed people that affect your kingdom, that bring more to your kingdom. Father God, we love you, we worship you, and we thank you so much for this opportunity, and we thank you so much for the sacrifice. It's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Any other kids for Children's Church? Wait a moment. If you come up here, you got to preach. Nope. <laughs> you can go right there with, with Miss Rachel. Hey, I offered. I mean, that's all you can do. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible, not to Acts as you may have seen in your bulletin, but to Psalm chapter 3. And as you know, I don't normally do this, but it's going to be a little different of where we're at this morning. As you're turning there, listening to that last song, I consider uh, myself a man most blessed. Yesterday, I got to to lead a meeting of our state convention and the 
the worship band from Calvary Church um, in Winston-Salem, which is probably one of the most prominent churches in our state, was leading, and they were just fantastic. And I got to hear hundreds of North Carolina Baptists singing a couple, actually, of the same songs we did this morning. And then get to come this morning and listen to all of you singing. And I'll be honest, I think we were giving the group a run for its money from yesterday. Um, how good it is that we can sing praises to God and rejoice in what He has done. And He has done abundantly more than we deserve. And He is with us even when we are struggling to see that. Um, the Lord impressed upon my heart a different text for this morning. And so that is where we are in Psalm chapter 3. Before we look at Psalm chapter 3, I want to tell you why we have Psalm chapter 3. If you see the note at the beginning of that psalm, you see that it's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. You might read that, and if you don't know what had happened, it might not mean much, but, but if we go back in our Bibles to 2 Samuel and chapter 15 and the chapters that come after, we see that David had been put in a most difficult circumstance. David, the king of Israel, David who was God's anointed one, David who from his family would come Christ. David finds himself at a point in time where he has a son who is wayward, a son who he has sent away, a son who has returned, a son who begins to store up for himself glory from other people, a son who began to manipulate people around David in order to take what David had. The son Absalom would sit by the gate and he would whine about his father's leadership. He would tell others and, and convince others that, that he himself would be a much better king, that, that he could rule over Israel so much better. I think a lot of us who are sons have had that thought. We think we could do it better than our fathers. Occasionally we might be right, but if your dad is or was like mine, you realize that over time he certainly knows much more than you do. But with this son Absalom, he began to push, he began to prod, he began to invite people to follow after him, he began to, to lift himself up and make himself appear to be much greater than he was. We see in verse 12 of, of 2 Samuel chapter 15, the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. I want to read a, a few verses for you from 2 Samuel chapter 15 and then we'll turn and stand in Psalm 3 as we read our text for this morning. The conspiracy had grew strong and then we read these words and a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there'll be no escape from, for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. 
It's within that context, that context of running and fleeing and fear. While he is on the run that David writes these words, our text this morning, Psalm chapter 3, and I invite you to stand with me in reverence to God's word. Psalm chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people whom have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. You may be seated. What is happening to David is certainly a most terrible event. It would be bad enough if as king you knew you had enemies and they were frequent. We were, we were speaking with the, the kids on, on Wednesday night as we're going through the, the Bible story there. And we, we read the story where the, the king of Babylon is throwing a huge party even though his enemies are all at the gate and his enemies will quickly overtake him. He had enemies and he ignored them. David has enemies and he can't ignore them. And he certainly can't ignore them because they are a unique enemy. It is not some foreign power, it is his son. His son has come against him. His son is attempting to and for a time does take over the kingdom. His son leads a rebellion. His son, who for all the faults that he had, no doubt he loved him and cared for him. But Absalom leads a rebellion against David. And on the run, David pens these words. A song, a song to remember what had happened, a song to thank God for what was going to happen. I want to ask you a question this morning. Where is your hope when the world is against you? Where is your hope when everything seems to be falling apart, when the enemy is at the gate, when everything seems to be standing in your way, when the world seems to be falling apart around you? Where is your hope? As we go through this psalm, I believe we find where our hope can come from. The the first thing we should acknowledge in verses 1 and 2 is that David is full of worry and fear, and that is normal. When difficulties arise, we should not be surprised when we are confronted with our own fear and our own worry. 
We have those things because we live in a fallen world. We are fallen people. We are imperfect. And even the person that has the strongest faith must face times of fear and worry where they are quite uncertain about what is going to happen next and what they're going to do about it. David is there. Verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes? We're going to see throughout this psalm three different groups of people, if you will, or three different persons. We have the Lord, we have David, and we have all the people who are against David. And we get a sense here that it is not an exaggeration. He'll say later on, many thousands of people are against him. And here he recognizes that how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. If you look at these first two verses, when David is full of worry and fear, the the main characters that are taking place in these two verses is him versus everybody else. It's David, it's David, and it's all the people that are against him you notice the Lord he's not acknowledging the Lord's work in these first two verses he says to the Lord how many are my foes and and the the people who are against him at the end say that he has no salvation from God but but we don't see God at work in verses one and two and when David is not talking about God being at work he is full of worry and fear His enemies are many. They're rising against him. They're even saying of him that he has no salvation from God. His son is against him. His enemies are against him. He's worried. We read there in in 2 Samuel, he is on the run. He's fleeing. He's having to to decide who he's going to take with him. He he knows that if Absalom and those who come against him come to the city where he is, they will crush him and destroy him and he will die. Not only will he die, but his family will die and it will be a great defeat. He is full of worry and fear. We need to realize that that happens to us. As a matter of fact, we don't have to realize that. We know that happens to us. We should know that's normal because there are going to be things in life. There have been things in your life. There will be things in the future that cause distress, that lead to anxiety, where we don't understand what is going on. We can't believe that this thing or that thing would happen to us. This this situation would befall us. What did we do to deserve that? Remember who David is. He is the one who has been called by God. He is the the king of God's people. But in verses 1 and 2, he is in despair. Because it's it's a reality for him. His enemies are not something he has made up in his mind. He has real danger ahead of him. He has real hardship. The world that he knows really is against him. And so it should not surprise us when we deal with these anxieties ourselves, these fears ourselves, and we have to wrestle with them and work through them. They are a part of life. 
It is unfortunate that sometimes in the church we have made it out as if everything will be okay if you will just follow Jesus. The reality is that sometimes life gets harder when you follow after Jesus. Many times life gets more difficult when you follow after Jesus. And so we need to understand that reality and work through that reality because that is what is going to happen to us. When we consider the New Testament and we we look at the words of our Savior, the, the world hated Him, and what does He say? The world is going to hate you as well. This should not come as a surprise. The question is, how do we deal with it? What is our hope when the world is against you? Well, what happens to David? Move on to verses 3 and 4. David remembered the attributes of God's salvation. He remembered the attributes of God's salvation. Here he is full of worry and fear. My my son is against me. The world is against me. What am I going to do, O God? And then he remembers this. But you, O Lord. This is my reality. The world is against me. My enemies are against me. It's going, to be, it's going to be difficult. I'm not going to be able to make it through. But then he remembers God. Friends, can I tell you, this, this is where we need to go. When verses 1 and 2 are true of us, we go to verse 3, but you, O Lord. We don't turn on the television and say, what are they going to tell me on the news that will help me? Or, or we don't go to, to social media and, and decide on, okay, we're going to follow these certain people and, and they, 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 they understand how the world works and they understand how messed up the world is and they can give me some insight on what's going on. Alright? We don't pick up the phone and call the man or woman uh, that, that we know is a good gossip and they'll give us something and they'll tell us how somebody else's life is worse than ours and we'll feel better about ourselves. Surely none of you have ever done that before. We come to verse 3 and we say, But you, O Lord, yes, my enemies are many. Yes, many are rising against me. Yes, many are saying to my soul, there is no hope, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are not like my enemies and not like my foes. In In fact, this is what he remembers. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. The shield, the defensive weapon that protects the arrows of the evil one is God. The one who stands in between, the shield would be in between you and your enemy. And this shield, the shield that is God, comes in between us and our enemies. Can I tell you something that we know even more than David knew? That that shield is a shield of the salvation that God has given us in Christ Jesus. That shield is in between us where not only in the temporary does God protect us, but that God is our shield eternally in Christ. That no matter what comes at you in this world, if you are in Christ, you have an eternal shield between you and everything else that might come. In that moment when he says, my enemies are many, he remembers that God is a shield about him, covering him from whatever comes. 
And here's the reality. David did not know what that would look like. David did not know that that would mean that his life would be preserved forever. David did not know that that would necessarily mean that God would restore him back to the place he was. He knew that God was in control and that this would be taken care of no matter what that outcome would be. It would be the outcome that God would bring about because since he belongs to God, God is his shield. What else? God is his glory. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory. What does that mean? It means that that the honor that David had came from God and not from David. The the honor that David had came from God and not from himself. How do we know that? Well, what's the history of David? Did he come from this great and mighty royal family? No, they found him out in a pasture somewhere tending the sheep, right? He was the guy that his dad had forgotten about when he lined up all the sons to say, who is going to be the next king? David was the guy that was like, oh yeah, I do have one more. He's way out. It's probably not the guy you're looking for. And that's when Samuel said, yeah, go get him. That's that's the guy. And even after Samuel had set him apart and had um, anointed him as king, what did he do? He went back out to the field. Where had his glory always come from? It had come from the Lord, not from himself. When he had stood out there in the middle of that field and there was the Philistine giant on the other side and David is the one who picks up some rocks, um, where did he get his victory from? It wasn't because he was the toughest guy there. In fact, he wasn't the toughest guy there. He wasn't even in the army. He had been sent out to take care of his brothers and they end up putting him out on the battlefield and he kills Goliath. Where did that come from? Where did the honor of that day and the victory of that day come from? It came from the Lord. I think sometimes we are full of fear and worry because we have brought our honor out of ourselves. We have made ourselves a person of honor instead of having God make us a person of honor. Our glory in the world has come from what we can do and what we can accomplish instead of what God has done through us in Jesus Christ. And friends, there's a world of difference. Because if his kingdom had been established by himself, his son could have easily have taken it. In fact, there were many other enemies who could come in and take David's place. But he knew in this moment where his enemies are many and he is of great fear that his glory has always come from the Lord. In fact, not only that, but tied to it, a a, a third attribute of God's salvation here is that he lifted up his head. He says, O Lord, you are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Who's going to restore him where he was? Well, it would have to be God. Because remember, he's the one running in fear. He's the one cowering in fear. What did they say? All the hearts of Israel are turning to Absalom. 
he's, he's got everybody. The conspiracy has grown great. Everybody is following after him. Who is going to have to be the one? If David is going to be restored to where he was before, who would it be? It would have to be God. To remember about God's salvation, that him lifting us up is something only he can do. In fact, our heads, if you will, are lifted up because Christ was lifted up on the cross. We could not save ourselves. We could not lift up our own head. We, we could not restore ourselves to favor with God. We could not bring ourselves into relationship with God. Our sin was too great. Just as David has to overcome this, this conflict with his son, our sin was too great a conflict with God for us to be restored to him. But he lifts up our head by lifting up his son. Christ dies on the cross so that we can be lifted up into a relationship with God. Friends, when the world is crashing around you, when there seems to be no hope, we remember that all the hope we have comes through Jesus and not through what we have done. I think too often we try to hang our hats on how good we have been. We try to hang our hat on, on all the good stuff we could do. How much we could do for God. How much we could do for the church. How much we could do for other people. We try to hang our hat on that. And yet David here, who is the king? Right? He's still the king. He might have been displaced for a while, but he's still the king. He could say, you know what? I'm going to pull together my mighty men and my mighty army and we will do this on our own. But instead, in his time of despair, he says, you, O Lord, are the lifter of my head. You restore me. You give me the place that I shall be. A third attribute, or sorry, a fourth attribute of God's salvation here is that he is the answerer. I don't know if that's a real word or not, but it is going to be for this morning. He is the answerer prayer i cried aloud to the lord and he answered me from his holy hill god's salvation means that he answers our prayers that he is listening as we pray david knew that he had this over his son and those who were coming against him he knew god and so when he prayed, God heard his prayers. The world cries out to its gods, its idols, and friends, they do not listen. The idols of money, the idols of celebrity, the idols of fame, the idols of power, they do not listen to the prayers of their followers. Absalom was greedy. Absalom desired power from his father. Absalom was far from God. And David knew, though he was a sinner, a great sinner, he could label himself with Paul the chief among sinners, but he knew God. And he knew that God answered his prayers. Even on his holy hill, even from far away, the Lord came near and answered his prayers. Friends, when we are in this, this time of great 
trial and great distress, when the world seems to be against us and we seem to have no hope, we realize that God is our shield protecting us. God is our glory, not ourselves. God lifts our head to salvation and God answers our prayers. David knew this and it brought about in him a dramatic change. Simply recalling verses 3 and 4, the, those, those, those realities that he already knew, the things that, that he had been taught, the things that he had learned, the things that he had taught others that we find in verses 3 and 4 cause a radical change from verses 1 and 2. So 1 and 2, God, how many are my foes? And we get to verse 5 when he is recalled to mind salvation and we see that he is comforted and at rest. He is comforted and at rest. Verse 5, I lay down and slept. I woke, up, I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. What a powerful change that is. We, we get this sense in verses 1 and 2 that he is in despair. He's, he's just in distress. And in verse 5, he gets a good night's sleep. I would imagine that all of us have been at that point where we have been worried and frustrated about something going on. We, we've not known the answer and we have laid there for hours and hours unable to rest. We, we, we had to find an answer. We had to find a solution. We had, to, we had to do something that would fix the problem. And so we lay there and we tossed and turned. But David recalls the glory of the Lord. He recalls the attributes of God's salvation. And he rests. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. And how good it is to get a good night's sleep after a time of distress. David, because of the goodness of God, is comforted. And he begins to rest. He says, he says, I'll not be afraid of many thousands of people. I'll not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Again, the reality had not changed. Right? The deliverance has yet to happen. The reality of what was going on was still, still occurring. His son was still rebelling against him. So it wasn't as if God has just fixed it, and now he's fine. You know, I, we, we feel that way sometimes, right? If God, if you'll just fix this, I'll be okay. If you'll just take care of this, God, if you'll just get this off my plate, if you'll just deliver me from this burden, I'll be okay. But David is okay before any deliverance takes place. Why? Well, because his focus was not on the temporary of the here and now, but the eternal reality of his relationship with God. He, he wasn't simply thinking about, okay, how is God going to get me out of this situation? You know, it's, it's almost like television shows that we, we watch. We, we, I like shows that for the most part have a nice, neat conclusion by the end of the episode. Right? I'm not a huge fan of, you got to come back next week to get the rest of it. I don't mind building a character over seasons and, you know, and years and all of that. That's fine. But, but for the episode, there needs to be a, a nice, neat little you know, conclusion. And then we can go to next week and I can watch it whenever I want. Well, that's not how life works, though. 
right? They're, we don't go to bed every night, and, and there's a nice, neat bow tie on the day, and, and it's nothing really tomorrow is going to be affected by today. Every day affects the next. And so here David can go to sleep with this not being resolved. And yet he says, I lay down and slept. I woke again. The Lord sustained me. I'm not afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. How is that possible? It's possible because the truth of the salvation of God sustained David. It's great for us to come back and say, God, God, I thank you for saving me. But here's the question. Does it sustain you as you go through trials, some of which will last a really long time, some of which may never go away? You say, well, that's not very positive, Pastor. The last point was so positive, and this one doesn't seem to be as positive. It's the most positive point. Because here's a man who is facing the tremendous hardship. Listen, by the end, his son will be dead. That's how this is brought to a resolution. And yet he rests. He is comforted because the Lord's salvation is sufficient for him. And it's sufficient for him no matter how the Lord chooses to resolve this conflict friends if if god's salvation is enough for us it will be enough even if we do not get the deliverance and the resolution that we desire and i've got i've got a suspicion that if we all go around the room and had to list situations that we wished had been differently we would all have a long list And many of them would be very important points in our life where we wish it would have come out dramatically different than it did. That it would have ended more like a a Disney movie with a nice tight package and everyone lived happily ever after than movies we've seen in more recent times in our society where it ends poorly. Nobody makes it. And there is no positive redemption at the end. Can I tell you that while you might not like watching that type of movie, that type of movie might reflect reality a little better? The question is, what do we do when the situation ends and things didn't get fixed, relationships weren't mended, not everyone got their deliverance, their miracle, whatever it was? Can we still end like David and resting and being comforted Knowing that everything we go through now is temporary. Because what is ahead is eternity with Christ. No matter what it is, if everything ends nicely and neatly and we all sing Kumbaya and we all live happily ever after and we skip down the yellow brick road and whatever else it is. There's still a time coming. When we all leave this world and go into eternity. Or if the story is tragic, the ending seems hopeless, can we lie down and sleep and find rest and comfort because His salvation tells us that what is ahead is greater than what is happening now.
David finds that in the midst of this trial where his son is trying to take his life and his son will ultimately die. He says, I went to sleep. I woke up the next day because God sustained me. I'm not be afraid of my many thousands of enemies. I'm not be afraid of them, though they've set themselves against me all around me because I am his. And it brings us to the, the last two verses. What, what, what changes? We see a change, right? Verses 1 and 2, I'm afraid. I see God's salvation then, and so it gives me comfort. So what truly took place? What truly changed? We see it in the last two verses. David realizes his dependence upon the Lord. He says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. Not David. You break the teeth of the wicked. He goes further. It's like, you know, the smack on the cheek may not be enough. You know, just break their teeth while you're at it. Why? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. What's he realize? He realizes he will be saved. And he will be saved because of the Lord. He'll not be saved by the power of his might. He'll not be saved by his mighty men who come and kill 10,000, 10,000. He'll be saved by the Lord because salvation belongs to the Lord. He realizes in this time his complete and utter dependence upon the Lord. The Lord is his salvation. The Lord is the one who will strike down his enemies and break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. His blessings will be on his people. Friends, how do we have hope? Do we have hope in times of great trial and great struggle? The only way we have hope is if our dependence is upon the Lord. If we trust only in the salvation that he has brought us through Christ Jesus. Because our, our strength will fail and our money will fail and our health will fail and our power will fail and our prominence and fame will fail. But we must realize our dependence upon is upon the Lord. If you watch on the news, they, they routinely report the obituaries of famous people. And the people who've lived in their 80s or 90s or over 100 and they've died, celebrities, actors, musicians. And many of them had great fame. Many of them had fame in other generations that, that maybe people in my generation wouldn't know them very well and yet people in other generations would, would have known them and loved them and listened to their music and watched them on television and would, would understood that they had fame and fortune. And yet we realize that that time comes that time comes for every person, no matter how famous. No matter how much they have, no matter how well known they are, that time comes. And when it comes, it reminds us that everything else fails. The only thing that sustains is the salvation that belongs to the Lord. So I would ask you again, where's your hope? Where's your hope when the world is against you? Are you dependent upon the Lord in your time of great distress? Because it comes, right? 
And, and it, sometimes it comes and we expect it. We saw it coming. It was, it was rolling down. Sometimes it just hits us and we didn't expect it to come at all. And so because we know it is coming, and that is the great harsh truth of our life, that, that times of trial and tribulation come, difficulty comes for every single person no matter what you have. Are we prepared when it comes to yes, in that moment of distress, say, God, what is happening? But then have our focus turned. Because we remember the words of verse 3, but you, O Lord. Yes, the world is like this, and the world is crazy, and the world is tearing me apart. And I can't, I can't stand to go through this any longer. But you, O Lord, have provided me salvation that sustains me through the most difficult of circumstances. It lifts my head up in the times where I want to fall apart. But you, O Lord, are my hope and salvation. Friends, if you are a Christian this morning, you have that hope that cannot be taken away no matter what confronts you in this world. No matter what comes, no matter, no matter what you face, you have that salvation that comes from God and Him alone, and it can never be taken away from you. Turn to Him in your time of distress. If you don't know Him this morning, friends, you are living in a hopeless state. But friends, there is hope. Hope found in Christ. In the most difficult of circumstances, He is there. Even when it is time for you to leave this world, He is there guiding you to the life that He has for you ahead. Here's a great truth. Our fears, because of God's great love for us, our fears are met with grace from the God who saves what is your hope? Where do you find it when the world stands against you? Our hope is found in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your goodness and mercy. We thank You that You love us, that You care for us, that You've given us hope beyond ma- imagination, God. Hope that, hope that we could never deserve, hope that we could never earn. You've given it to us. In a time of great hopelessness, God, I pray that we would be people filled with great hope. God, I pray that if one here today doesn't know You, God, that You would speak to their heart now. God, convict them in their hopeless condition, but pull them out of hopelessness and give them life. And God, for each person here, God, the challenge this morning is is within our own heart. When they face that time, of great distress and despair. I pray that that they would come back even to this part of Your Word and they would come to verse 3 and they would say, yes, all of this is true. Verses 1 and 2, all these things are true in my life. But but God, they would come to verse 3 and say, but You, O Lord. And it would make all the difference. God, let us be a people in our witness to the world That we can say, yes, all of this distress is true and all of this hardship is true. But you, O Lord. God, we pray that would make all the difference. God, move in our midst. Help us as we go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing this final song. Would you respond to God's word? Maybe you're going through that distress right now. Maybe you're in the middle of it. And, and you've been consumed by fear. Would you cry out to God this morning? You, O oh Lord, have given me my salvation, and that is enough. You, O oh Lord, have provided for me in my time of great despair and distress. Maybe that's where you are. And you need to come this morning and pray that God would, would move in your life because you don't want to live in fear, but rather in the victory we have in Christ, the hope that we have through Him. He has already paid the price. Fear has been conquered on the cross. So let us live with hope, the great hope that comes from God. Would you, would you pray that prayer this morning? That God would empower you to live in hope so that instead of being like everybody else who just doesn't understand what's going on and they're worried about what's going on, you can go live the life God has called you to live. Sharing His good news. Living with hope. Would you respond to his word as we sing this morning? Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with coming to worship this morning. I hope you'll stay for our Sunday school uh, starting in just a few minutes and uh, continue to study God's word and fellowship together. Uh, but above all, I hope as you go, when confronted with fear, we'll remember that our hope is already assured. Victory is, is over. David knew that. The victory had already been won no matter what happened. Friends, we live in that same reality that our victory has been won on the cross. And so we can live without fear because we have hope in Christ. I want to pray for us and we'll be dismissed. I hope you all have a wonderful week and I hope you'll come and worship together again soon. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth. 
God, we love you. And we thank you that you have sent your son so that we don't have to live in fear, but rather our victory has been won. You've conquered the cross, the grave. God, you've conquered death. You've conquered hopelessness. You did so through Christ. And so we live for him because he died for us. We live with all the hope because our future is secure. It's secure in you, kept in heaven for us. So God, let us live as people who've already won. As we pray in Christ's name, amen.